Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. This week on the podcast, I have a wonderful conversation with Dr. Anup Kumar. He communicates a bold new vision of healing and healthcare based in a more comprehensive understanding of you as a whole human being. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Health Revolution, a frontline emergency physician and author of Michelangelo's Medicine and Is This a Dream? Enjoy our wonderful and spiritual conversation. Okay, Dr. Anup Kumar, I am literally tingling with excitement to talk to you. You were definitely a rebel physician. And the reason I think that, one of the many reasons, is because of your willingness and boldness and courage to talk about everything, and specifically spirituality and medicine and health care and health of our bodies. So perhaps a place to start is your first or several near-death-like experiences, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, let me just start by saying uh, that it's it's really special to talk to you as well. I think this is my first interview like this with another doctor, um, and I know there are probably a lot of doctors and nurses and even patients listening, um, and I just want to say that uh, I'm really grateful you know, for, for all of us who are doing this work that we know is so difficult today. So I'll just start with that. Um, yes, that experience you're talking about happened in medical school. And uh, it was my third or fourth year. And I had come home for like, I think it was a weekend or something like that. I drove home to my parents' house and I was there for the weekend. And at this particular time, I was sitting in my bedroom and reading something. It was some philosophical text. I don't remember the details. Um, and then as I was reading this, out of the blue, it was like, a, an explosion went off. Totally unexpected. Didn't see anything coming. I was just reading my book, you know, got interested in something and then boom, it was like an explosion. And the next thing I know, Kristen, it is like I am sitting in the sun, which is the <laughs> strangest way to describe it. But <laughs> even the first time I talked about it, I can't describe it any other way. Just brilliant, a brilliant blaze all around. I'm immersed in a brilliant blaze no pain. It's not hot. It's not scorching. Just, just the essence of pleasantness, the essence of goodness, the essence of rightness. Everything is just as it should be, it feels like. And there's just this brilliant blaze. And some unknown time passed where it was just that. I even want to talk about it now. I could just sit here. Mm -hmm. just like, it's, it's like, it's, it's right here. That experience is still here. So I'm sitting here in this brilliant blaze. And at some point, I start to move through it, right? So this brilliant blaze is actually like a portal. And you can, and by the way, everything's gone. The room is gone. The body's gone. Just blaze. And I start moving through this. And then I realize if I take one more step, proverbial step, that's it. I'm not coming back. Everything's done. And so there are these two sides of me, right? There's this one side that probably like things to do, I don't know, that, that's holding back. But I guess 
I had always wanted this because there was this irresistible urge, almost like I was being pushed, but it was myself just kind of moving towards this. And it was almost like, like that one step was about to land on the other side. And that would have been it. It was so clear that would have been it. And then this, this blaze like being came forth and instilled this feeling, thought, whatever you have it in my mind saying this wouldn't be fair. That was the intimation. This wouldn't be fair. And I knew it, she, he, whatever this was, was right. I felt the truth of it. And I paused just before I, you know, kind of put my foot down. I was just leaning and I paused. And and as soon as I paused, everything re-imploded. It was like I was sucked back, like, and I have to say there he was, there Anoop was sitting in that chair in that room and everything had changed. You know, everything had changed. So the, who I was had changed, what I was had changed. My identification with the body, my relationship with the body had changed. Perception had changed. What the room looked like had changed. And that was the beginning of many years of integration that continue today. Okay. Wow. I cannot wait to dive into this a little bit more. So the before I forget, what the message that you received or that you felt about it not being fair, what did that mean to you? Like fair to who? Like fair to you? Fair to the rest of us? Like how did you fair how do you to, take that now? Like f- fair to what remain to be done fair to certain responsibilities that I have, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was, that was crystal clear. And it was crystal clear that they were right about that. Yeah. Did you know at the time, like if there was a purpose or for your life or in every moment, what purpose you bring, like, did you know it then, or was there still some uncovering that had to be done? Is there still uncovering about what the purpose of this version of you, this life is. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, I hadn't accepted it fully, but I had looking back, I always knew, I don't know if I always knew, but even since child, like in childhood, I used to hear talks going on in my mind. I used to be having conversation about like mind and, and desire and, and what is the cause, cause and effect and the nature of the world and the relationship between you know, like in middle school, these conversations would be in my mind and I would be asking questions and I'd be getting answers and just back and forth. Everybody thought I was just quiet, but I'd be having these like dissertations going on in my mind. And then once in a while I'd wonder, I'd be like, why, like, why, why all this conversation or why, what's the need for all this? Besides, of course, my curiosity, I was really interested in it, but there was a point at which then I started thinking, even as a kid, I was like, oh, I could give these talks. I could start talking about this because, you know, even in middle school, I used to think like that. So I had these, these ideas as to what it was for, but then, you know, you're, you're going to school and then you're going to college and then you got to get your job. And like, none of it really felt right. None of it ever felt right. This is so awkward, like trying to mm-hmm. make myself fit into it, which I think is frankly too for, true for a lot of people, if not most people, if yeah. you really stop and think about it. A lot of what we do don't make sense. It doesn't make sense in terms mm-hmm. of the career path. But at, at that moment, I think by then I had become so immersed in it, especially when that message kind of came through, it was clear to me 
that, it, you know, maybe I had even resisted some of that, you know, like, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Like, do I really need to do that? But it was just like, yeah. So before this happened, it seems like there was part of you that did have an understanding about who we really are. So could you talk maybe about what your viewpoint of that was before this experience and then how you continued living on in this world after really truly knowing who we are? Yeah. So before it was a lot, it was a combination of intellectual understanding and experimentation. Right. So I had been immersed in Advaita Vedanta, which is the philosophy of non-duality that says underneath all appearances, there is an underlying unity that is experienceable by us and that is our own nature. Right. That's the hypothesis that Advaita posits. And I'd been exposed to that since elementary school and my parents were really into it and we were in that community. And it was always very interesting. It's very intellectually stimulating too. Right. So you go to school and it's like, you know, you're looking at, I don't know, like memorizing some things and doing some things at your desk. And then like, I have this whole other life, which was so rich and, and exciting and, and, and stimulating. So that part was there. And I'd been meditating since I was a kid off and on, you know, never particularly seriously, except in medical school, I did get very serious, but you know, just kind of playing around experimenting. Like I would, I would stand up next to walls sometimes, you know, like, like an inch from the wall and just be like, okay, where do I, and where do I begin? Like I was experimenting with my experience and seeing I could span myself and all these kinds of things. So that was there, but it was never clear. There was no clarity on it. It was like a hunch. It was like, I know there's truth here. I know there's something here. I've seen people who have experienced something. What is this? These questions were there. The restlessness was there. And then after this, I mean, just like that, right after I was sitting in that chair, it was just crystal clear, no questions no thoughts, no doubts. It was just direct enthralling perception. So that was the main shift. And then what happened is that energy had to be toned down for me to function again, mm-hmm. you know, because I was just like sitting in that chair. And then I remember got up and looking in the mirror and not recognizing the guy, you know, you can't really function like that in a society, let alone in medical school and and doing your residency in emergency medicine and getting married and all those things. Mm-hmm. So that energy had to be toned down. I didn't do that myself. It just happened, fortunately. And otherwise I would have been in a mental hospital for sure. They would have said, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with this guy, probably schizophrenia and, and something else. So fortunately it was toned down. And then it's almost like you go to like level 10 and then you go back to maybe three and then it's like three, three and a half, four, four. It was just doing this thing on its own. and. I had to start integrating, especially once I started my residency. That's really when it started activating. And so then I had to start integrating, find ways to talk about it, find practices to balance myself and all kinds of things. So that was the shift before and after. So specifically, we're talking about the reality that you were experiencing, like things you were seeing, hearing, experiences that were happening in the 3D, as we say, correct? Like it was almost, it sounds like maybe it was almost a blurring of the lines of this dimension and other, is that kind of how to describe it? Or what was happening that you had to figure out like, 
you know, we're in this world right now and figuring that out. Like, how did you navigate that? Yeah. I would say it was an obliteration of the lines, not a blurring of the lines. Um, and and then kind of a, a toning down. Yeah. It is, it is kind of like, like different pictures that you would merge together are like, you could say dimensions of this cosmos, dimensions of this universe. So initially it toned down and I was like, okay. And I didn't really even think about it. I actually didn't think about it for a long time because I'd heard as a kid, some of these things happen. And I was always told, just keep going. You know, don't make a big deal of it. Just keep going. So I kind of forgot about it. And then when I started training, it all started coming up because I started, I realized the changes that had happened that I wasn't actually aware of. So I was extremely sensitive. So all of a sudden I could feel all, you know, these trauma patients and septic patients and, and, you know, babies coming in, needing resuscitation. I could feel all this stuff now and let alone the discomfort among the clinicians, right? The, Mm -hmm. the burnout, the pain, the suicidality, all these things that are happening with clinicians all around me. So I could feel all of these things. And now all of a sudden I had to manage that. It's like your, your sensory Mm -hmm. input goes up tenfold or a hundredfold. So that was, that was one thing that made me need to integrate. And then yeah, sometimes I haven't talked about this before, but sometimes I would see things that are going to happen, like a patient that's going to come and then they would, and sometimes it was hard to tell what's happening now and in in one particular frame of reality and what is going to happen, you know, in another frame of reality. And then eventually I started to realize, okay, there are these frames of reality, there are these dimensions of reality, then I can be with the body or next to the body or beyond the body. There were all these variables that we don't talk about in school that we don't talk about in our society, but we actually all have those dials on our dashboard that we can adjust and they would radically change it. That's what psychedelics do, right? They make, they turn some dials on a dashboard. They may not make the dashboard visible, but there are, they make you aware that, oh, there are dials here that I didn't know existed that would radically change my reality. Yeah. And I think just for like the, say the person who doesn't really is so disconnected from their own body and awareness who is like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I think that we all go through this. We just take it for granted. Like an example would be if you walk into a room with a patient and you feel uncomfortable or you feel dread or you feel tension or awkward, it's like that is intuition. Like that is a spiritual gift that I think that we just brushed off so much when in reality, like that's really, it's just an awareness and, a, and paying attention to those small things that can then kind of expand us to the understanding of we're more than just a face and skin and all of those things. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I think all kids have it. Every single child has it, you know, until you know, I think the funny thing is you're allowed to have an imaginary friend until age four or five or something like that. And it's like, cut it out. That's not real. Such a strange thing when you think about it, right? Why are we okay until age four or five? And then it's like, now it's getting too serious. Now you got to grow up. Meaning what? You have to forget your abilities. You have to forget the expansiveness of your awareness. You know, think about a, a newborn baby, a newborn baby or who's starting to crawl at six months would be perfectly happy to crawl right off of a table and fall down, right? They don't know any better. Why is that? Because their identity is not yet localized within the body. They don't know that this is what I am. They don't experience that this is what I am. Then through pain and they're like, ow, that really hurt. Let me not do that. So slowly right. this this conditioning happens where it's like, okay, they 
the, the awareness starts to localize, oh, this is what I am. And then their parents say, this is your eye, this is your nose, these are your hands. And so this awareness starts to learn, identify with the body as the body. This is what I am. Oh, Anoop, 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 Kristen. It's like a, it's like a mantra that you chant over and over yeah. your name. That's how awareness constricts. We don't realize that, right? We could be teaching that differently. We could say that, yes, this is also you. You can also experience yourself this way. But that constriction happens in childhood. It gets further cemented in education when you're always taught to look outside yourself, right? That's that's what we consider advanced science is minimizing the subjective and focusing on the objective. So that further disconnects us from our own capacities. And then later on, we create something called spirituality and meditation and mindfulness and psychedelics, all of this why to go back, right? Mm-hmm. Re- to remember what we have forgotten. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned a few minutes ago about being sensitive, because I think that there are so many physicians just by the nature of our, what we choose to do, who are, you know, empaths or very sensitive or whatever the, the word is, but how do you, or how, how have you learned what is yours and what's not yours? Like the anxiety and the suicidality or the physical pain that's yours and what's not yours? Well, it depends on how I ident- how I want to identify. So I see it as both ways. It is mine. It's all mine in a sense, mm-hmm. right? But it's also not mine. It's also each of ours in a sense, right? So it depends on how expansive the identity is, right? So mm-hmm. when we empathize with somebody, we're basically identifying as them to some extent. That's what we're doing. It's, it's actually totally metaphysical. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not there there it's not like I am just next to you and I'm just being nice to you. No, it's it's I'm identified as you. Right. Think think about in a family. So each of us in our families, we wouldn't charge our kids to give them dinner. We would be like, Well, here's your dinner, give me ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're so identified, like that's me almost, right? Uh, but if it's somebody else on the street, it's like, Well, maybe not because you know, they're not me. So it's it's identification, it's metaphysics. And so I looked at it both ways. Initially, what I had to do is I kept trying to push everything out because it was too much. you know. So I would create this force field around me and I would just be like walking around in a force field, which worked to some extent because it was just too much stimulus. I couldn't integrate it all. But as with time, you know, as I, as through trial and error, or as I figured out what worked, I was able to actually expand and hold it more and more and hold more and more and hold more and more. And that process goes even now. I was just working yesterday in the ER right? Even now, that's a practice that continues. And then do you have to, is there some sort of practice that you have to, 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 instead of holding on to that energy and, you know, I don't know what the word is, like dispersing it or allowing it to kind of work releasing through you. It. Yeah. Yeah. Releasing yeah. it. So what I do is, a, is like a constant filtration process. I do a constant, like I, rather than, um, taking it on for a while and then going and having to release it, which which still happens, right? It's, it's not 100%. But I learned that for how sensitive I was, like I couldn't even hold on to it even for like 30 seconds. So I have this constant filter going, right? Even now I have it going because I I pick up things pretty easily. And if I don't do that, it it becomes overloading, you know, quite quite easily. So there's this constant process going out going on that keeps who I am as me and what is not me, at least functionally, relationally in this world. 
um, as not me. And that's my way of kind of navigating this. And depending on who I'm interacting with, you know, you allow a little more in, you take on more, you you might expand your identity to include a group. If Like if I'm doing a course with people, I might expand to include the group. But it's this it's this ability that every single one of us has once we realize that this world fundamentally is not a physical world. This world is fundamentally of the nature of mind. And that's maybe another topic. Yeah, I actually want to, let's go there. Let's okay. let's do that next. Um, because this is something that I've been exploring for myself. And I think for me, like probably a lot of people, it was, you know, a couple years ago, manifestation was like mainstream. And then that kind of gets you down the rabbit hole of, like what is actually real yeah. anyway, and how in other realms or densities, it's thought responsive, right? Like you said, when you were the sun or feeling like in the sun, you had a, it was just a download or a feeling or a thought that you just knew this isn't fair, right? And so that kind of is now that's the where I'm down the rabbit hole is like, what is reality and what's this? Yeah like what in all that stuff. So I'd love to know kind of how you frame that for yourself. Yeah. So in my view, consciousness is fundamental, right? Even what we call a physical world is a representation in our consciousness. Now, the biggest misunderstanding of that is that people would say, well, that means the whole world is in my head. No, that means that what you are is not a body. And what you are is not inside the body. It's a part of you that associates with the body, surely. But what you are is not located in the body. When the body stops, which is what we call death, you will be fine. <laughs> you will keep going. In fact, for many people, you will be happier because that you'll be able to release all the baggage that comes with this lifetime in the body. And you're not only that, you're not even just a local entity, right? So at the time of death, the body separates, the body stops. But a person can still be a local entity. I right? still feel like I am this thing. But even that is just an experience. Mm -hmm. We are non-local. We are not localized in one place. And so what happens is when you shift from the perspective that I am this, I am this body, I am this personality, I am this set of thoughts, this set of capacities, as long as that's the case, what happens is there is a, a divide in the metaphysics of our experience. And the divide is fundamentally is that I am here and everything else is there. Like this is me and that is the world, right? So in this whole cosmos, there's one tiny Anoop sitting in one chair right now and everything else is something else. Like it's just a, it's such a bizarre metaphysical concept, but that is the fundamental understanding that we have, right? What I'm saying is that is simply an experience. It's the dominant experience in our world culture today. But there can be a shift in experience. And, and when that experience shifts, what happens is that identity is no longer localized as that personality. And what we see is that this body and this personality and this world actually is in us. What we are is not a physical thing. It is simply an intelligence or a love or a consciousness is the word that I use. And this consciousness is the fundamental intelligence that represents itself as all the bodies, Kristen, Anup, English, Spanish, Hindi, whatever language we're speaking, and all the cultures of the world, as well as space, time, past, present, future, dimensionality. Okay, so all that we talk about as science is from the first mind perspective that I first talked about. This is me, everything else is the world. And the whole approach to that is let me minimize me because I'm the bias. I'm the bad guy. I'm the bias. Let me minimize this. I can have nothing, nothing to learn here. And let me just study the world outside. That's what we call objectivity forgetting that 
you can never do objectivity without subjectivity. You need the subject, right? The second mind perspective is when that opens up and you realize the subject and the object, right? In this case, a person who's doing the experiment and the experiment itself, they're both aspects, a distilled aspect of consciousness. And in that perspective, you see that the entire world is mental. And the best example of that is the dream. Hmm. When you dream, you are a character in that dream, but you are also the entire mind that is dreaming that dream. You're both. You have two identities. You've just forgotten one. You're the character in the dream, and in that dream, you are also your friend. You're also your enemy. You're also the space in which that setting is. You're also the time as you age in that dream. You can speed up time. You can slow down time. You could fly in a dream and it wouldn't be strange at all because you are also physics in the dream. You can die in the dream. You can wake up in the dream. Everything can happen in the dream from the local character's perspective. And that local character can be never the wiser about the fact that the entire thing is 100% mental. And all the scientists and all the philosophers in that dream will do their experiments perfectly. They will, will, they will win Nobel Prizes for the quality of the experiments, which will say, yes, this is physical. And they would be 100% right. And when they wake up, they will all say the exact opposite. They'll say, oh, that entire world was mental. And they will again be right. So these are two entirely different, different levels of identity that give us two completely different worldviews and experiences of what this world is. I think I want to bring this back real quick to like what it is to be a physician today, because I think this is something, this, this, what you're speaking of, this perspective of reality and what is happening. We constrain physicians in particular because of our conditioning and everything, constrain ourselves even smaller to just a human, to even to a physician and what that means to be a successful good physician right which is perfection never making a mistake basically ignoring even the bodily functions not let alone what else whatever else we have going on emotionally and, and psychologically and then we everything that we that we relate to outside world has to first filter through if a patient or another doctor thinks that we are good enough and i think this is fundamentally with everything else going on in the world right now of physicians is it's it's actually killing doctors right to have this small pinpoint view of who yes. you are not even just a human but a doctor yeah. and the power of zooming out in the way that you just talked about yes. is freedom to me it felt like freedom to me and i just want to bring that back that because there's a lot of words that we're saying but in the with you, if you're when you're listening right now, feeling like total crap because you got a bad patient review, like none of it is. It, it, this doesn't matter, and I don't mean to say that like their opinion doesn't matter. It, yes, of course it's important, but like this is so much bigger than that. And to bring love, which is what has been most healing for me, is truly bring love to the patient suing you and the lawyer giving you the deposition or the anything i mean the abuser and the power of that for your own 
emotional health and mental health is profound. So I just want to zoom back in and just say like, this stuff is, yeah, we're talking about it, but in a tactical day-to-day way is actually life-changing, essentially. It is life-changing. And let me speak to what you just said, you know, you know, I think there is something so special about being a doctor. And this is this is almost something that I feel like we doctors can't say. Because there's this idea in society, doctors, they get paid so much and it's, you know, they have all the prestige and all these things. And, and there is some truth to that. But people also don't know how much suffering there is, right? The, the physician suicide rate in the US is twice that of the general population. That should be front page news in any article about healthcare, right? That tells you more about healthcare, I think, than than most other statistics. Let me just say that we have to take medicine back. Okay, we have to take it back. And, and this is what I mean by that. We are supposed to be the ones who really know what we're talking about, right? I mean, we burn the midnight oil and college and then medical school and then residency and then maybe fellowship and then CME and on and on and on. We're, we kind of have to hold that standard for the knowledge about health and healing and diagnosis and treatment, right? But we have been given such a small fraction of the knowledge of health and healing. Like we, we have to understand that, right? We know a whole lot, but it's about a relatively narrow frame. And guess what? That didn't start in medical school. That started in kindergarten and first grade, as we talked about before, about children and their education. And it just so happens that once you get to medical school, whatever aperture we have been looking through to get to that level of education, it just gets flooded with a lot more information. It, the view doesn't expand. It just gets crowded with a lot more information. And now you have to take that and make somebody healthy, right? And the truth is it's it's just hardly possible. It's hardly possible because that's not the knowledge that we're given. You know, and, and this word doctor is comes from docere, which is to teach, to teach, mm-hmm. right? So we, we have to learn who we are first. You know, is that, I don't know if it was Hippocrates or somebody who said, physician, know thyself, physician, heal thyself. You know, the doctor is to teach, but to teach, we have to learn. What do we have to learn? Physician is the other word for the doctor. We are metaphysicians. This is metaphysics. We can no longer subscribe to a model of the human being, to a model of anatomy that mechanizes us. This is at the core of burnout. This is the core of, of forcing a person through a small dot, you know? There's a big difference between a cadaver and a living person, right? We all know that. Mm-hmm. And yet our model of anatomy is the exact same for both. So you're telling me that my person, my patient is coming in with shortness of breath and who's hypoxic. I'm going to use the same model of anatomy as a cadaver. That doesn't make sense. We, we don't even stop to think about that. That's actually a mm-hmm. philosophy that's been handed to us. It's not science. It's a philosophical assumption that these models of anatomy should be the same and they're not. Right? And that's why we always treat the body. Even when we're treating so-called mental illness, we're still treating the body. We're treating neurotransmitters. Right? Think about how backward that is. We literally call it mental illness without knowing what the mind is, and then we treat it through the body regardless. Hmm. 
So we have to learn that we are metaphysicians. Every single person here, if you're suffering, just know that there's so much more to who you are, so, so much more to who you are. And I believe every human being knows this, every child knows this, but every doctor especially is sensitive to this because we've seen people die. We've seen people be born. We've seen people suffer. We've seen people exalt. And we see that all the time. And and you cannot, you can't turn that off. You know, when you see that, you know there is something more. So please know that we are metaphysicians and we have to take our knowledge back and we have to lead the charge to do that in healthcare. And that will set us free because the public is looking to us. You know, they're, they're, why are the doctors speaking up? Why aren't they saying something? They're looking to us to speak up because they know, everybody knows behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right? That the, the knowledge base or the approach is insufficient. And I believe that we have to lead that charge. And I believe that when we do that, we will heal in ways that bring such deep peace and joy and understanding and healing and a practice for the way forward. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I just in my own personal experience, I can speak to that with regard to recognizing, you know, my energy, my own personal energy, energy, or how I'm feeling. Like if I have um, a headache, actually, I'll tell you a quick story. And then I want to get into the five bodies. I had a daily chronic daily headaches for 15 years, actually starting in high school. And I went to every doctor I started with, well, maybe it's my eyes, I need a new prescription, or it's my hair is too tight. I'm wearing my hair in a ponytail and it's too tight, or it's a caffeine withdrawal. And then I ignored it for a few years, took a leave every day, just, oh, it's stress or whatever. Chronic hit my head in the front of my head. And then I it got really bad um, a couple of years ago, and I went to a neurologist. And the neurologist said, okay, um, chronic daily headache, take this medicine, right? And I was like, mm, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, well, it says we make the worst patients. But I was like, I just don't know if that's it just didn't sit well with me. Like take a medicine, like I'm having a headache every day for 15 years and yeah. why I am I? And it's like, I did acupuncture. Acupuncture was probably the closest to getting it better. It would relieve it temporarily. And anyway, I just, I was kind of, I was on the spiritual path at this point. I was like, okay, if it's not a physical thing, cause I've exhausted all of it, then what is it? Like there, the pain is uh, telling me something else. So I started communicating with it. Like, what are you, what do you, you know, pain, headache? What do you need me? What do you need for me? And it any well, it resulted in a bunch of tiny fixes. Like I need to stop thinking so much and start listening to my intuition for, you know, it was little things. And anyway, I haven't had a headache for like three years, except for when it's a, it's a clue from my body, like not my physical body, but my spiritual body, my energetic body telling me that I need to focus on something that I've been ignoring. So that's just one example that I think probably everyone can relate to there. Sometimes we all, and just from pain, and I'm as an OBGYN, the amount of women who come to me with pelvic pain, and they all are looking for a physical thing. Oh, it's an ovarian cyst. I have endometriosis. I have whatever. And when we get down to it and we start talking about the amount that they are sacrificing for other people, and it's literally their dreams are being 
are telling them like either slow the F down, you need to rest. So we're going to give you debilitating pain. So you do that, right? It's your, whatever it is, or it's trauma from the past. It's protecting you. So this, this is just a personal and then a professional thing, even just from pain. And if you, every doctor knows that there's physical pain that patients come and see them for that's not physical. That's not a body thing. Is there anything you want to say before going into the five bodies? Because I love your description of this and I think it's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, pain, pain is such an important topic, you know? So, um, yeah, the whole interesting thing about pain is you can have as much pain as there is from a fracture and it can be totally quote unquote physical and then you sleep and it goes away. And mm-hmm. now, wait a second. So my mind shifts or like something shocks you and your attention is gone and your pain goes away. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we all, we all know like, you know, the person with an ankle sprain who's having 20 out of 10 pain and the person with a femur fracture who's having seven out of 10 pain, you know, like, so pain is just all over the place. And there's no line between so-called physical pain and mental pain because there's no line between physical and mental to begin with, as we talked about. And when a person's experience of pain, and I'm just thinking about so many instances in the ER, you know, like who needs sedation for shoulder reduction versus who needs like eight milligrams of morphine, you know, versus who sometimes even needs less and just like, just put it in doc, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, you know, this, this pain that a person has in an instance is connected with all pain they've ever experienced. You know, the, 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 the episode of pain that's happening now that juts out above the surface of our awareness. And we say, okay, I'm having pain at the root is connected with all experiences of pain, emotional, mental, existential, even ancestral. It's all tied in. And that's why you cannot correlate two people's pain. 20 out of 10, seven out of 10, one out of 10. It's a fracture, you know, it's a, it's a sprain or it's just a tweak in the back, everybody responds so differently because they're not just responding to what's above the level of their awareness. It's all the subconscious stuff. So I think pain is just a, and the pain is so important, as you said. And and why is pain so, like you said, you started talking to your pain and your, and your pain taught you, right? Mm-hmm. And And so why can pain do that? Because pain is connected all the way. It has your history it knows where you're coming from, you know? And so by, t- by talking to our pain, I think that's an amazing story that you told. By talking to our pain, it's a way of connecting and recognizing and opening that layer of awareness at- and looking in and being like, oh, and using that as a guide. Yeah. And I think another thing, well, I mean, I really will let you teach this concept is pain and, and how it correlates with fear. And I think especially in a materialism belief where it's just what we see and touch and our five senses is what what it happens. There's so much fear about if I'm feeling something uncomfortable, what could it do to me? Like, is it cancer? Am I dying? What's wrong with my body? What's going to happen? Like, is this going to kill me? Right. And the fear, or am I going to have this pain forever? And so much of what we do, and this is beyond pain, I think this is literally every choice we make, is our inability to just be afraid and rest into that. And what's fascinating to me about pain and fear is that the gift of surrender into these experiences 
surrender and acceptance of both fear or pain situations um, opens the door to recognizing like what is the core level of the fear, right? Um, So much of this pain, I guess I have a lot of pain issues, but I had this pain in my toe a couple of years ago and I was, I have psoriasis and I was worried that it was psoriatic arthritis because I was told years ago when I was a child that I would have probably have psoriatic arthritis someday as an adult. So I've been, it's been in the back of my mind. And so I got this, my toe was like fat and red and I was like, oh God, this is, sorry, here we go. You know, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't work out. And I went to a rheumatologist and they said, this is psoriatic arthritis, take 800 milligrams of Motrin every eight hours. It'll be with you forever. And I was, I, this, I said, I, I, this was an experiment I did. I said, okay, I'm just going to focus on the other toe on my other foot that's not like that. And I'm going to give that a bunch of attention and I'm going to work out and I'm going to walk because it feels good. And I'm going to focus on all of the parts of my body that aren't in pain and I'm going to visualize. And anyway, that it, that it looked no joke. Like I don't, my pain, my, it's gone. It is gone. Like I don't, I still have a toe, but I don't have the redness. I never, I don't have the pain. It actually hasn't come back. And this was three years ago. So what I realized is that I was so afraid of what this meant. Like I would never be able to move the way I wanted to move. I wouldn't be able to run or ride my Peloton or put a, you know, wear sandals, <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? There was so much fear. Yeah. This is my life forever now. Yeah. And when I released that expectation, I don't know. It's just there's some there's so much there about recognizing the fear. And so many doctors are so afraid of having, you know, losing their phys- their job as a physician or making a mistake or um, what would they do if I, they're not a physician anymore? And I just think that if you just allow the fear to like pay attention to the fear and really see it for what it is, it makes it so much easier to work through that. And to really see, especially from the lens of what we're talking about, about this one experience in this body. Like this is just one iteration of who we are. Then fear just disintegrates into that. And that fear and connects with inflammation. You mm-hmm. know, and that's that's a that's a core concept that connects the mind and the body, where that inflamed body can inflame the mind, you know. So when a rheumatologist says, you're going to have this for life. Take Motrin 800 milligrams for life. I mean, that's that's quite a statement to come from an authority figure, you know. And 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 we're physicians. Imagine people who are not physicians who are hearing this. You know, it, it's almost like a sentence, you know. But you don't have so on our podcast. We have so many stories of people healing from all kinds of things: advanced cancer and leukemia and severe heart disease, and on and on and on. But those are not published in journals. So literally the prognosis that we're giving is not correct. That's something that even with all everything that I've experienced in the background, that hit me only a year or two ago when I was doing these podcasts, listening to all these people. And I was just like, we're giving out wrong prognoses because our medical textbooks don't have all of these case studies, you know, of people who have healed and healed and healed. And so we keep calling them miracles or we keep calling them anecdotal because nobody's doing studies on them. Right. (laughs) And so they'll forever remain anecdotes. And so I think it's it's so powerful what you said, because that 
if you say something like that, if a rheumatologist pronounces something like that, that inflames the mind and that contributes to inflammation of the body. We know there's uh, levels of cortisol, there's correlation in epinephrine and all of these, these hormones and neurotransmitters that function, that facilitate inflammatory responses, you know, if they're dysregulated. So when you shifted your mindset, you just took 50% of the power out of that equation. You were like, well, no, my mind is not going to be inflamed. And guess what? My other toe is not inflamed. And so it, to me, it's, it makes perfect sense. I think that's just physiology, metaphysical. We're metaphysicians. That's metaphysical physiology. When you shift that, you take away that inflammatory component. You don't need to have that chronic inflammation in the other location. This actually reminds me because I think there was a study that I read done years ago where they compared like surgeons and the expectations that they gave their patients about post-op pain. And, oh, I, I got to find this study, but it was basically either the surgeon said, you will be in pain. It will be, you know, you will have this yeah. much pain. You will need narcotics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And and then they were told this pain is mild. You were going to do fine. You're going to feel so much better after surgery. And that's what the physician said and spoken to reality was more likely to happen. Yeah. So that's that's extremely powerful. Yeah. That physicians just we don't think about that. Yeah. When we speak to our to our patients. Yeah. Enough. Those are those are two things that I do with almost every patient. One is when I'm listening to their heart, I always check their pulse too. So I have my fingers on the radial artery and I'm always checking their pulse. Not because I really need to, but because I they feel like, oh, this doctor is attending more, you know, and it's also sometimes it's hard to hear in the ER so you can hear better if you can feel it at the same time. But that touch is really important, you know, and I'll often even switch to the other arm too and, and feel the radial on both sides. And the other thing I do is, especially if they're uncomfortable, I always say, okay, you're going to feel better real soon. Okay. We're going to get you some medicine. And you're going to feel, be feel better soon. I always say, I just feel good when I say that because it's like, I, I feel like honestly, that sentence is one of my most important things as a doctor. Is just that reassurance you know and then so I, I feel like their mind is already predisposed to that so when the nurse comes in with the meds it's like yes i'm gonna feel better and then that contributes to it it's so important i agree i agree for sure Hey there, just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself and I had tried to contract out editing and it was really got some really, really bad <laughs> results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with Pretty Easy Podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and they're, it's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out 
Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out. Yeah.